Hello and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown. Today is May 18th, 2022, and if you haven't already, you need to go ahead and take care of all the dishes in your sink because it is National No Dirty Dishes Day. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, Mr. Clean, if you will. I am here to uh, bring you all of the squeaky news that came out this week and uh, hopefully clean off your uh, plate when it comes to learning about all the cool things happening in technology. And joining me from uh, from another part of the globe this week is uh, my friend and co-host Chris Grundeman. Chris, welcome back to the show. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, it's uh, it's been an exciting week, um, especially if you're a cryptocurrency investor. But we're not going to talk about cryptocurrency because no enterprise cares about that. In fact, uh, after this week, I don't think anybody cares about <laughs> cryptocurrency. We're going to be talking about some of the exciting and interesting news that's been coming through uh, some of our enterprise tech channels, and we're going to jump right into that. Uh, with a story about a company that we've been following here at Field Day for a while, um, and that would be Panzura, because the hybrid multi-cloud data management company announced last week that they've completed a new round of funding. Uh, this is their Series B, and it's an $80 million round. Now, why are you saying what's a Series B? Why does that make the news? Well, it turns out that it's pretty significant because the company has been refounded uh, back in 2020. They were acquired from their original founders who came from Aruba Networks, by a pri uh, private equity firm, and then they basically traded out the entire management team uh, last year. And so this is kind of their, you know, big reannouncement of uh, all the stuff that they're working on. Now, you may think to yourself, what does Panzera do? Well, they focus on object storage for multi-cloud, and they're looking to increase their customer base with this cash infusion. Um, Chris, what what's your take on this? Yeah, I think it's pretty exciting, right? The, you know, for one thing, the whole hybrid multi-cloud data management is really exciting. I think this hybrid multi-cloud is something that's here to stay in the enterprise space and being able to put your hands around it is important. And of course, data management isn't just about the hybrid and the multi-cloud. It's also about uh, the boogeyman of our times, ransomware. Uh, and in addition to, you know, the immutable storage that they provide uh, for protection against ransomware, they're also using AI and ML data analytics to help you manage your data at scale, which everyone knows that now with digital transformation, we've all got too much data and have to be able to figure out how to, how to work with it. But more than the technology, uh, which is interesting, right? They've launched seven new products since they did the refounding. Um, but beyond that, uh, they're now female led and a big part of what they've done over the last couple of years is a cultural refocus. Uh, they've moved to gender equal pay. They've added uh, full-time remote work. They've even thrown in uh, cash funds for career coaching for all their employees. Uh, so that's really exciting and good to see kind of, you know, not only is their technology progressive, uh, but I think the business is kind of pushing the envelope as well. Um, and, and that shows through also in the funding round where it was led by two female-led teams. So, you know, kind of all female all around on the future here and uh, really exciting. Uh, a much older company, uh, Oracle, they uh, are still in court. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court declined to hear an appeal this week that was filed by the database giant against a ruling in favor of HPE. Uh, the lawsuit stems from an agreement back in 2011 that Oracle would continue to support a version of their flagship database running on Intel's Itanium platform. Uh, when Oracle found out that Intel was dropping Itanium, they pulled out the agreement, which caused HPE, at the time just plain HP, uh, to sue and win a judgment of $3 billion. Yeah, that's B with a uh, billion with a B. Uh, Oracle appealed the judgment all the way to the Supreme Court on the First Amendment grounds, uh, and uh, the Supreme Court of the United States has declined to hear the appeal, which means Oracle is going to have to pay. Tom, is Larry Ellison going to have to dig deep for this one? Well, he may not get a new sailboat this year. Uh, yeah, first of all, this case is hilarious. It's been going on for over a decade. 
And in, how far back does it go? Well, technically, even though HP Enterprise is the recipient of the funds, the original lawsuit was filed by good old Hewlett Packard, not HP Inc., not HPE. Like, th this is a cautionary tale out there for anybody, not named Larry Ellison, who realizes that when you say things, you really need to have them written down somewhere. So this was kind of like a handshake agreement that Oracle would continue to support their database on all the things that HP sold. And then HP would prefer to install Oracle's database on all the things they sold. Well, what does all the things mean to you? Well, to HP, it meant if we have a skew for it, you're going to support it. And Oracle said, well, if it's supportable, we're going to support it. And then the question came down to Itanium because, you know, Intel made so much money off of that. Spoiler alert, they did not. Um, so they dropped it. And then HP was still selling Itanium because basically they were trying to sell through the stock and, IT and they had to support it. And then Oracle's like, well, we're not going to support it. That's garbage. And HP's like, mm -mm, we have an agreement that says you will. And so they tried to pull out and that's where the lawsuit came from. And, and normally, like, you know, we're dealing with a lot of this crap going on with, you know, a social media platform and another um, uh, narcissist billionaire right now about the contract and what things like specific performance mean and what you can sue for and what you can't. And, and basically Oracle going to the Supreme court, trying to claim that this was a violation of their first amendment rights. I'm sorry. What? Like I am no constitutional scholar. I have read the document and I'm struggling in the first amendment to find out where it says that if you say random crap, that was not written down, you don't get to go back on your word. And if every trial court from here to, you know, from here to uh, whatever island Larry Ellison owns in Hawaii says that you owe the money, don't keep appealing. Well, now you're out of appeals. It doesn't matter. The Supreme Court said no. So by Larry, you just, I don't know, cash in a sailboat or three and you, and you can afford this. Uh, your ego is probably, well, you think it's worth more than $3 billion. You could sell part of that. But like, this is not a good look for Oracle. I mean, in this grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter because Itanium's dead and gone and nobody uses it anymore. But this is kind of like, you know, this is what happens when a case takes forever to wind its way through the courts. Chris, here's a story that kind of popped up right at the last minute last week, but we wanted to make sure we talked about it because Pure Storage announced last week that they're working with uh, Snowflake to provide analysis for data stored on uh, Pure Storage's FlashBlade platform. Now, you may have heard of Snowflake before because they are a huge name in cloud data analysis. Um, but they also realized that some of the data that they really wish they could analyze, uh, it has to stay put because of security issues or data sovereignty issues and things like that. Normally what you do is you send your data off to Snowflake wherever they happen to be and they'll analyze it and send it back to you. Now, the thing is, is that by partnering with Pure Storage to allow Snowflake to analyze data that is stored on FlashBlade volumes that are inside colo facilities, like the ones you might find at Equinix or any one of a number of the other ones that have high-speed interconnections, um, Pure can provide a speed for data analysis that is almost equivalent to what would happen is if you had it stored in a cloud somewhere. Um, this is a big deal for customers that do want Snowflake, but Chris, what does it mean for them to be able to do this in place? Is that going to prevent them from getting buried in an avalanche of data issues? I see what you did there, Tom. Uh, I think this is very interesting, right? And, and again, it's another kind of hybrid multi-cloud story where not everything's going to live in the cloud all the time. There are reasons for folks to have data walled off in a co-location facility in their own data center. 
uh, whether it's again for security reasons, for privacy reasons, for regulatory reasons, uh, or, or just pure raw horsepower. And uh, in some cases, it makes sense financially as well to keep things in your own data center or run them in both. So it's awesome to see these kind of solutions coming out where folks can really be really flexible about their solutions and not just be forced to put everything in the cloud all the time. Uh, it's also interesting because Pure and Snowflake, frankly, are, have been darlings, I guess, of the industry for quite a while. Both those names get tossed around quite a bit. A lot of the folks who work with them really like to work with them. Uh, so they're kind of big new names. And so to see them work together uh, is one of those uh, Brangelina moments, right? Uh, however, this is following uh, on the heels of a joint Dell Snowflake initiative that's very similar to have Snowflake compute operate in the customer's data center with, with Dell hardware. Uh, but Snowflake did say that FlashBlade specifically is an object platform that is really uh, ideally built for these high-performance analytics workloads. So it uh, definitely seems like a, a great match. And uh, the other thing that's interesting here, uh, you mentioned Equinix, and also in some of the press releases and things they mentioned Equinix, uh, the diagrams that I saw from the press releases all name Equinix. So they've definitely got their nose in this as well, which is interesting, and, and another player to watch uh, in this space as they continue to kind of reach outside of the walls of their data centers into the cloud uh, and kind of get to the connectivity and, and things like that. So definitely something to watch. Uh, should be coming out second half of 2022. And I think that'll be interesting. Uh, going back to Intel, uh, Intel's invest investors have issues with the way that Pat Gelsinger and other execs are being paid. In a filing with the SEC last week, it was disclosed that shareholders voted against Intel's executive compensation package in a two to one ratio. Pretty strong. Uh, the vote is non-binding for Intel and was also the outcome of last year's vote. Uh, investors noted that executive pay is not directly tied to performance and is very high when compared against regular Intel employees. The vote could also be a reputation, uh, sorry, a repudiation of Gelsinger's attempts to revitalize the chipmaker with expansions of foundry facilities around the globe that will take investment and could negatively impact the stock price for a number of years. Tom, are the shareholders sending a message here? And is anyone going to listen? They're sending a message. I don't think anybody cares. So this is not just an Intel problem. Uh, this is a problem with Philips. This is a problem with Amazon. There was a story that came out just yesterday talking about how uh, a lot of institutional shareholders are telling uh, it, the Amazon shareholders that they need to reject Andy Jassy's compensation package because it's wildly crazy. Um, props to Corey Quinn for kind of breaking it down on Twitter because that's what Corey does where it's like, oh yeah, guess what? It's all shares. Like, that's the thing. This is not him getting a truckload of cash. So let, let's let's break down the Intel problem. But first, I need everybody at home to go do me a favor. Go find a calendar somewhere in your house, whether it's a paper calendar on the wall, or the calendar on your phone or your computer. Now, I want you to look at it, and I want you to tell me how many months there are in the year. The answer should be more than three. Should be 12, unless we live in the twilight zone. Okay, that is a very important number. Remember, 12 is more than three. Okay, so here's the situation. Intel shareholders do not believe there are more than three months in any year. They live in a three-month cycle. Every three months, if they're not making money, they're going to be mad at everybody. And that is every investor that you've ever met. They do not believe there are more than three months in any given period of whatever. Pat Gelsinger, on the other hand, and full disclosure, I like Pat. He's a great person. He's a very smart person. He is the right person to run Intel right now. And we've been saying that for a year and a half, two years almost. Pat thinks that there are 12 months in a year. Pat thinks there are 10 years in a decade. 
And Pat knows that in order for Intel to be a good dominant company in the market again, they're going to have to invest in things like building plants and researching new technologies and not getting stagnant because they are the biggest, baddest chip maker in the market. So on the one hand, you've got a smart visionary leader who's trying to revitalize this company and make it a dominant player in the market again. But in order to do that, you're going to have to invest money. You're going to have to you know, make capital expenditures because buildings don't build themselves, especially when they're full of specialized chip making equipment. On the other hand, you've got a bunch of loud, obnoxious institutional shareholders that don't care whether they invest in Intel or Merck or a phone book company as long as they get paid every three months. One of these people is seeing the future. One of these people can't see past the end of their own nose. And I promise you, we're going to start hearing more guffaw about this. And I'll give you a hint. If you want to know exactly how important this is to people, I want you to listen for an important set of keywords tied to company performance. That is shareholder code for we're going to make your entire compensation package dependent upon the thing that we get paid for. And I see it over and over again. Andy Jassy is a perfectly good example. You literally cannot compensate that man more based on Amazon performance than by making like 95% of his compensation package based on stock price. The problem is, is that the number of stock shares that they're granting him in RSUs is essentially astronomically high. And now they have a problem with it because, oh my God, we can't pay Andy Jassy $200 million to be the CEO but you want his performance to be entirely dependent upon, or his package to be entirely dependent upon company performance. You cannot have it both ways. If you want to pay the person a yearly salary, great. If you want to make their compensation package dependent upon their company performance, great. But don't whine when you do the the latter and it ends up costing you a small fortune that you could, I don't know, reap in a dividend or use to boost the stock price to buy shares back so you can sell off and go invest in the world's last buggy whip manufacturer um, because you're going to fail miserably. Chris, we had one more story we wanted to take a look at. It, it is about an Intel uh, announcement, uh, but it is a little more hardware focused. So uh, they're kind of jumping in with both feet to the add-on card market uh, because this last week they released their roadmap for their infrastructure processing units, the IPU which is what Intel calls the DPU, the data processing unit, which is what everybody else in the industry calls it. Um, they're going to be focusing on a combination of ASICs and FPGAs. Now, based on what you would probably understand by the way that they're being marketed, they're going to go in two different units. So the ASIC model IPUs are going to be really high performance and a little bit cheaper, but they're not going to be very programmable at all because it's an ASIC. It's a single purpose chip. Um, they are going to release an FPGA model that costs a little bit more money, doesn't run quite as fast, but boy, howdy, can you program that thing to the end of the earth if to do a lot of different things that you want to do? Okay, that's pretty standard, and that's kind of what they're doing right now. The roadmap, however, was the exciting part because it's laying out some changes that Intel is going to be making in their models, and they're going to be able to ramp up to a full 800 gigabits per second of throughput in just three years. By 2025, that's the projection. One of the ways that they're going to be able to do this is by optimizing the software that runs on the, the IPU. And to do that, they've created the IPDK, the Infrastructure Programmable Programmer Data, uh, let me get this right, the Infrastructure Programmer Development Kit. 
Now, that may sound familiar to Intel fans because they did this already with the data plane programmer development kit, the DPDK. So, yeah, Intel's kind of getting up here, Chris. I mean, do you think that this is a good play on Intel's part? Are they moving swiftly to kind of catch up in the market? Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, definitely, uh, you know, one, the market in general seems to be getting more holistic from this, uh, you know, chip maker side. Uh, obviously, the, or maybe not obviously, the last time I was on the show, actually, we talked about uh, Pensando getting snapped up by AMD. Uh, so another story in the same vein. And I think that we're seeing, you know, server manufacturers and, and those around them looking more and more to the network and understanding how integral the network is uh, to the modern application. Right. If you look at microservices and these kind of things, the network is the application in a lot of ways. And so I, I understand where they're going and why they want to catch up here. Uh, obviously, you know, also ASICs and FPGAs and software kits. Oh, my. Uh, it's a great combination. It's kind of what Intel's been doing uh, as of late, right? Really doing the ecosystem play using hardware and software uh, and, and branching out. So uh, it makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, it does seem like it's, uh, you know, possibly a little late. But, uh, you know, the, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is right now. You're absolutely right there. And the problem is, is they're about to run out of room to plant those trees. So, I mean, let's, let's be perfectly honest. There are three giant makers in that market right now. You've got NVIDIA with Mellanox and now with Pensando. I'm sorry, you've got NVIDIA with Mellanox. Hold the Pensando thought. Um, and they they kind of have a lot of the the traditional like market for DPUs and things like that. Then you have Intel, which kind of has their own homegrown stuff and some FPGA type uh, technology that they've acquired. Then you have AMD, who is coming on super strong because they have to play catch up. So they have Xilinx, which has a lot of FPGA experience, and then they just bought Pensando, as you mentioned, um, to give them that that DP or that yeah DPU kind of um, I don't know visibility. All right. So Intel's in a very uncomfortable spot. They're fighting against NVIDIA in a market where NVIDIA is the incumbent and has all of the technology like armed and ready to go to war over this because they've gotten an entire development kit based around their graphics processing units that they're then porting over to the DPUs in order to be able to provide high performance. Okay, Normally, that's a two-horse race, and Intel's going to do what Intel does, which is move slowly, come out with really good integrated solutions, and then they're going to try to break that market. But now you've got AMD who's willing to throw quite literally billions of dollars at this problem to get there. And they have Xilinx experience in FPGAs, which is where you would expect Intel to have a lot of dominance. Um, and then you've got their you know, acquisition of Pensando where they can essentially integrate a lot of that stuff, including <laughs> the P4 programming language. You know, P4 that was developed by the people who created Barefoot Networks uh, that is owned by Intel. So now you've got a three horse race and you cannot fall behind because you may not be able to catch up. So uh, Patrick from Serve the Home did a really great job of this. And we're going to link his article in the show notes. He kind of talked a lot about what was going on over there. But essentially, Intel has a really great model. You've got a really fast, non-programmable system and you've got a slightly slower programmable system. And by the, whole, by the way, here's IPDK, which will let you build this. However, they've got to get people to start adopting this. And NVIDIA has a very big lead on this. So what Intel has to do is they have to nibble away at NVIDIA's lead while keeping AMD from nibbling away at both of their heels. I don't know how well that's going to go for them. Rewind to the earlier story where you've got people whining <clears throat> about whether or not Pat Gelsinger needs compensation needs to be tied directly to the company's performance, but don't let him invest in anything. Forget your foundries. Forget your hardware and manufacturing facilities. Like this is 
something you've got to invest in. You don't get to just create IPDK out of whole cloth and hope that it works. You're going to have to continue to invest resources in it. You're going to have to have people dedicated to using it. You're going to have to get people to adopt it. That was the big driver for DPDK was that a lot of networking companies adopted it in order to be able to leverage software constructs on commodity x86 hardware. Dare I say it, without DPDK, the SD-WAN market doesn't exist. They have to get that kind of buy-in for IPDK, which is now they're fighting against DOCA, which is uh, NVIDIA's version of CUDA for DPUs. That's a pretty big hill to climb. By making IPDK interchangeable, interoperable with a lot of other DPUs on the market, so be it. I'm just going to say it until, I'm sorry, but I got to, I got to let the, I got to talk about this elephant in the room. The industry standard term for these cards is a data processing unit or a DPU. I get that you want to call it something different that starts with an I because your name starts with an I, but nobody cares. Quit. It is not an infrastructure processing unit. It is a DPU. If you want to call it the Intel Data Processing Unit, the IDPU, perfect. Do that. But stop confusing everybody. Any thoughts, Chris? Can we just call them smart next, Tom? Just kidding. <laughs> uh, I, I, I do think that this is, uh, is it, it interesting to be a three-way race. And, uh, you know, I like to see a little more competition in the chip space. And it's happening across the board, right? Not just with Intel, AMD, and um nvidia but also you know we've seen that in the in the chips space on the on switches and firewalls and that kind of stuff as well so uh it's a it's a bright new day yeah i i think that there's some exciting times ahead and of course as soon as that happens we will definitely be able to cover it here on the rundown for you each and every week um there's some other exciting things that are coming up and i wanted to make sure that you were aware of those the, the first exciting thing is actually happening right now uh, that would be ai field day three stephen foskett is out in california today doing uh, great presentations with companies on the leading uh, edge of applied ai uh, those presentations will be happening today and tomorrow so make sure you head over to techfieldday.com to tune in for those uh, we're also going to be doing uh, something special at cisco live us that's right we're back in vegas uh, just about three weeks or so um, we've got some exciting times coming up uh, we're doing some tech field day stuff, not only with Cisco, but from great companies like Open Gear and IP Fabric. So you're going to want to tune in for that. Uh, more details, of course, at techfieldday.com. And then the week after that, uh, we're going to be uh, back for another edition of Cloud Field Day. You're definitely not going to want to miss that. Um, again, more details, techfieldday.com. Um, you can learn a lot more about what's going on. Speaking of things that are going on, Chris, um, I know you've got some exciting stuff coming up. If people want to check out some of the stuff you're working on, where can they go to find that out? Yeah, the best place is chrisgrundeman.com uh, or check out Twitter at Chris Grundeman. Uh, also happy to have a chat on LinkedIn as well. So uh, reach out and love to talk to anybody. Absolutely. You should totally check out some of the stuff that Chris has been writing. He's uh, been doing some great work and he's got some very interesting perspectives on the uh, technology industry. Um, I'll be back with you, uh, let's say next week around, say, 1230 Eastern time on, uh, let's just call it Wednesday. That's right. We'll be back with another episode of The Rundown. All the great news that's going on uh, that doesn't talk about crypto tokens or social media platform takeovers. Uh, we'll be covering the interesting stuff that you actually care about. Um, if you have a story that you'd like to see uh, on the rundown, please make sure you send us a link to that and we'll put it in the, uh, the, the order and see if we can uh, find some fun things to say about it. And if it's about Larry Ellison, we'll see if we can make fun of him too. Um, we will uh, be uploading this episode to YouTube, but also to your favorite podcast application of choice. So if you prefer to listen to the news as opposed to watch us talk, uh, make sure you uh, subscribe to the Gestalt IT Rundown in your favorite podcast application of choice. 
um, we would love to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, for myself, Tom Hollingsworth, for Chris Grundeman, and the rest of the Shelf IT community, thank you very much for tuning in. We look forward to the next episode of The Rundown next Wednesday. But until then, have yourself an awesome week.